right now on the Ringer Gambling Feed and all throughout the entire month of August, the East Coast Bias Boys are getting you ready to bet the NFL this season. We're going through each and every single division and revealing our favorite futures, predicting division winners, and even giving you some award winners. Do we think the Kansas City Chiefs will repeat or will they be dethroned? Tune in now to find out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to the Ringer Wrestling Show, Heels Season 2, Episode 1 Recap. We're actually going to do a lot of uh, Season 1 recapping here, too, but I'm joined today by my co-host on this fly-by-night endeavor, <laughs> Finn Lindbergh. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm honored to be getting a push here on the Ringer Wrestling Show and also excited to be talking about one of the best and, dare I say, most underrated shows on TV. Yes, this is a show that I loved loved, loved, and just didn't hype it enough last year, didn't talk about it enough last year, and certainly didn't dedicate this sort of podcast space to it. So I hope that people appreciate what we're doing here. But more than anything else, I hope they give it a shot. Now, Ben, for those uh, wrestling fans or just listeners in general who don't know who you are, <laughs> you are one of the most prolific writers, if not the most prolific writer in the Ringer's history. And and newly, I, I can say this formally, right? The, mm -hmm. the co-host of Button Mash, uh, the, the new video game podcast on the Ringerverse feed. That's what else right. Would you like to, how else would you like to establish your bona fides? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a good worker, right? I'm, uh, I'm often in the ring. I'm an editor at The Ringer. I do some podcasting around the network, largely on The Ringerverse. Came up as a baseball guy, so kind of an eclectic mix. Some jack of all trades, a jack spade of all trades, if you will. We're definitely going to get into some of the sabermetrics uh, questions in the pro wrestling <laughs> ring this year. We, meaning me and a couple of people on Twitter, used to joke around about kayfaber metrics, but could never really get the, the, <laughs> the logic behind it solid. But we will get into that. So Heels, Season 2, Episode 1, Tin Bell Salute just dropped. For those of you who watched Season 1, I just said before we started recording, Season 2, Episode 1 feels largely like 
the sort of footnotes to, to the first season of the show, the sort of subtext that was running through the whole thing. But before we really get into it, let's try to run through what happened in season one of this show. Now, Heels is obviously about pro wrestling, but specifically, it's about small-time indie pro wrestling in small-town Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Duffy, Georgia, the fictional town of Duffy, Georgia, to be exact, at a company called the Duffy Wrestling League, DWL. Um, you can buy lovely DWL t-shirts uh, online <laughs> if you're so inclined. The show is centered around the Spade family, the father of the family, the founder and longtime star of the DWF, Tom King Spade committed suicide before the beginning of the show. And the the company is now being run by his eldest son, Jack Spade. And uh, its newest star is the younger son, Ace Spade. Yes, there's a lot of playing cards in here and it gets a little (laughs) bit hard to wrap your mouth around. And the first season of the show goes through how how they're keeping the, the company going in the absence of their father the brother versus brother dynamic. This has mm-hmm. been Jack's whole life since he was born and Ace has largely not been a part of the pro wrestling world until the show basically begins. The dynamics with their families and girlfriends. And as the season progresses, the tension between the DWF and a rival federation that is popped up in Florida, FWD, Florida Wrestling Dystopia, that is trying to expand into the Duffy territory. What did I miss out? What did I leave out there? Yes, there's a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah, there's a, a kind of a Cain and Abel dynamic, which is uh, partly part of the characters, but often spills out of the ring with Jack and Ace. And it stems from their boyhoods and the way they were raised by Tom, who took his work home with him and yeah. kind of treated Ace as a sports prodigy, right? Had big dreams for him. He was the, you know, the football quarterback in Duffy, right, yeah. the high school high quarterback school who had a big championship, yeah, mm-hmm. ticketed for great things, but not necessarily equipped for great things, at least mm-hmm. psychologically in terms of work ethic. Perhaps too many expectations were piled on him, whereas Jack was the dutiful elder son, right? Helping his dad run the business, but not having much input into the business and kind of constantly clashing ego-wise. And there's an interesting structure to season one, I guess, if I can get into the the in-ring psychology of the season, because it's going to get relevant to the episode that we're talking about today. It sort of starts in an interesting place. It starts in Medias Rays, kind of, where mm-hmm. the inciting event is Tom King, Tom Spade's suicide, right? And there might be a version of this show, perhaps there was an early draft, where That happens in episode one and everything flows from that, right? Because that changes everything. That changes the dynamic between Jack and Ace. Ace had been barred from the ring, right? Because he was bound for bigger and better things, supposedly. But Tom's death, that opens up the opportunity for Jack to take over as the creative force behind the DWL and for him to incorporate his brother Ace into things. So it's sort of like... Hamlet starts after the death of Hamlet's father. And yes, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm comparing heels to Hamlet here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, you could have started right there and seen how they built things up. But instead, season one starts well after that inciting event. We kind of join events in progress as they're building up to this main event, this big clash between Jack and Ace. And it kind of parcels out these little tidbits along the way. Like, how long has it been since Tom's death? Uh, 
what's the backstory here? How were they raised, right? And so we see a little bit of that. We pick it up from conversation. We see it in flashbacks sporadically or at length in this premiere to season two. Yeah, I think that if you ask me what the show is about, it sounds sort of obvious, but also it's done incredibly artfully. It is about the distance between the characters and the people, right? It's about the this sort of baggage that comes with playing God on a weekly basis, right? It's like, we have all of this to live up to, all of this being the fans' expectations, what the expectations of the characters, of the personalities that we're portraying, and more than anything, of the legacy of this giant company that their father built that had had sort of gone, it it, it kind of been passed by uh, in terms of popular appeal by by the time season one begins. Let's go through just to sort of streamline things here, because there's a lot of characters to juggle around. This is a a segment that Ben came up with that we're gonna call the card. We're gonna run through the main eventers, the mid-carders, and the relevant jobbers on the show, just so you can get um, a handle on everybody that really matters. There's a few people we haven't mentioned that are in the main event category, and this is a good way to get them out there. So, as we've outlined it, the main eventers, and feel free to disagree with any of these designations, Ben, Mm -hmm. are Jack and Ace, the brothers, played by Stephen Amell. You might know him as Arrow or as a one-time WWE uh, wrestler. And Alexander Ludwig, who you might know from Vikings as Ace. Mm -hmm. The other main eventers are Willie, played by the amazing Mary McCormick, who was Jack's business partner, is now the sort of like... Right, and showrunner before Jack, right? And has a whole history in the league as a, a former valet, right? And and is now involved on the business side, sort of the, the person who makes everything happen behind the scenes for the DWL. Yeah, she's like the managing editor of the Duffy Wrestling <laughs> right. League or yeah. something to that effect. But she's incredible. And it's just sort of like the... Uh, well, there's a lot of people playing moral compass on this show because Jack and Ace are both spinning out of control so much of the time. But she's just sort of like the institutional memory of the DWF obviously worked a lot with their father. The other main eventers are the significant others of the two main characters. Stacy, who is Jack's wife. They met in college. She was, did not grow up in Duffy and, was in, and, and, was, and only came to Duffy to, you know, after they were together. So is just sort of un, trying to wrap her head around what being the wife of the head of the DWF means. And also trying to figure out how to sort of be have her own personality when there's that much her her own personhood when there's this when there's this much of a legacy and baggage that's built up around the thing that they're doing right she's feeling somewhat stifled right by by being the stay-at-home mother and wife and supporting jack and all of his endeavors but she had greater aspirations it's a, a show about aspirations really right and where we fall short of them and how we can adjust to that so she's feeling creatively confined right she's sort of a, an aspiring singer songwriter she's been to college she wants to go back to work she wants to make something of herself that does not directly relate to the DWL and just to sort of being, you know, the the woman behind the man. I keep saying DWF, don't I? CWL. A few times, I said it right yeah. the first time. We had it written <laughs> down. The other uh, significant other, the other big character of the show, and did not start necessarily as a main eventer, but was certainly at the top of the card by the end is Crystal, who is a valet as the story begins, who dreams of being a wrestler, but is sort of, you know, poo-pooed throughout the first season. Oh, you know, wrestling's for the boys. This locker room is only for the wrestlers, this sort of thing. And spoiler alert, if you're going to watch it, I don't think we're going to spoil this too much, but it's going to just kind of become, you know, the facts of season two. So I'll just go ahead and say it. 
through a sort of amazing turn of events in the wrestling match, in the real time, during the wrestling match, during the main event uh, at the end of season one, she is inserted slash inserts herself into the match and ends up defeating Jack Spade and becoming world champion. And lest there's any uh, question, it is one of the most feel-good moments in my professional wrestling viewing experience, not (laughs) just TV viewing. Mm -hmm. It was just an incredible high. Um, So season two opens with her as the champ and as, in large part, sort of the savior of the company based on the reaction that her victory got. Right. I would agree with all these classifications. I think the only character I'd advocate for a promotion to this tier is Wild Bill Hancock, who is played by Chris Bauer. And he's kind of the the one who made it, right? He's the the one guy who started out in Duffy and managed to make a go of this on a national level with the WWE equivalent, right? Got scouted, is a big star, is uh, sort of star-crossed himself. He has his demons. Uh, he has substance abuse issues. He has fallen on hard times. He has disgraced himself. And so I'd argue that by the end of season one, He has elevated himself into this tier just because he's more present. You know, when season one starts, he's parachuting in to scout Ace and potentially offer him this opportunity, this lifeline out of Duffy. Then he himself loses his job and thus he returns to the initial source of, you know, kind of his uh, his first push. He was kind of the counterpart to Tom Spade. Right. They were Mm -hmm. nemeses in the ring and also sort of outside of the ring. And there's just a complex relationship there because when he made it, he didn't necessarily do all he could to come back and lend his star power and support to the WWL, although that was partly because of the ego of King Spade not allowing him to ask his old pal or frenemy for help, right? So by the end, he's back. He actually has Crystal as his valet initially, but he's the one who kind of pushes her to take a larger role. And he has this complicated backstory with Willie as well and with Jack. Mm-hmm. And so he's... He's just a ball of complications. Yes. I mean, he, <laughs> and I think that that's sort of what's interesting about him as, as a character. All credit due to Chris Bauer, the actor, who if you don't know who Chris Bauer is, just Google him now and you will say, oh, that guy. Yeah, he's, that he guy, is maybe right. the world heavyweight champion, that guy <laughs> in television. By the way, I met him and Kelly Berglund, who plays Crystal uh, at WrestleMania this year very briefly. And I just think wrestling fans in general would appreciate the fact that they seemed honored to be a part of everything that was going on. And I think that that's a nice way to say it. They're both incredibly, incredibly sweet people who, and who care just so much about this show, you know, which is really cool. Yeah. Also for wrestling fans, just as a point of reference, Wild Bill is a sort of amalgamation of every old school wrestling <laughs> trope. He's sort of a Jake the Snake Roberts meets uh, Arn Anders. Think of all the guys who you know work as producers, you know, who used to be out on the road. But it's also all of like the pro wrestling stories, like legends and lore about what happens, you know, to people who fall in hard times, kind of all wrapped into one. And what I was going to say is I think it's a great testament to Chris Bauer that he kind of took this character who was over the top in so many ways and just kind of encompassed everything and maybe too much at one time and made him into a character who you really have like human sympathy for. Right. And I think that and you're absolutely right. By the end of season one, he matters. He's not just this totem of what might have been. He is an ongoing character in the show who you really have to care about seeing what happens to him at this point. Right. Because yeah. in some ways he's the, he's the closest thing 
he he's one of the people who's closest to their father, you know, who's who is the sort of specter hanging over the whole show. Yeah, there's a lot of pathos there. He had the meteoric rise. Now he's had just as steep a fall, right? And it takes a toll on you physically, psychologically, that life that is uh, true to the wrestling life, right? And and I would say also just to sort of uh, ground listeners in, in what they can expect. Oh, good. I'm glad you're doing this. I forgot to say this up top. Yeah, so I, I would say I'm spiritually a wrestling fan. I have I have great affinity for wrestling, if not necessarily great expertise. Like this is going to make it sound like I'm apologizing for for offending wrestling fans, but some of my best friends are serious wrestling fans, right? So I've been around wrestling fandom for most of my life. Plus, I've been co-workers with you and Brian Curtis and Bill Simmons for almost 10 years. So how could I not know the lingo at this point? So <laughs> that all makes me knowledgeable by the You spend a lot of, of time <laughs> in various other nerddoms, which yeah. are the vocabulary may change, you know, but, yeah, but the, the, the kinship the is there. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Fellow travelers. Yeah. So so that makes me knowledgeable by the standards of the general population, but maybe more of a, a normie or a casual than most of your listeners. But I think that makes us a good tag team for these pods because Heels totally is agree. clearly aiming for and made for and in my mind deserves a crossover audience, right? Because it's oh, a show yeah. that that respects wrestling and wrestling fans and obviously incorporates real life wrestlers, but isn't exclusively catering to that audience. So I hope we can hit both of those demographics here. Like I've I spent a lot of time reading wrestling Wikipedia pages. You could probably write them from memory. So I'm hoping you'll open my eyes to some stuff that I might miss. There is nothing better than wrestling Wikipedia pages. It's sometimes no, better agree. than the wrestling because trying yes. to cram fake reality into like <laughs> reality based sentences is just part of the joy of the sport. Right. Um, yeah. You can tell to go to off what you were saying about the show. You can tell that when they pitch this show, more than one person said out loud, Friday Night Lights, except pro wrestling. Right? I was going to say, and yeah, if you're watching, if you watch the opening credit sequence, the theme song, I mean, it's it, <laughs> there. You would have no doubt about it if you hadn't yes. thought about it up to that point. Yeah, it's clearly going for a crossover appeal. You can also add in plus sex scenes because it's on stars. But like <laughs> it. But that's just a tiny carrot. Th- that, that's what the show it's trying to have a crossover audience. It wants one. And and I think that especially by the midpoint of season one, you could tell it was sort of finding its footing. And it, it, you know, there were points where it felt like, yes, wrestling and yes, Friday Night Lights, but like where they intersected was a little bit uncomfortable by the end of season one. And certainly going into season two, it feels like they really figured out the formula. Yeah, that's definitely the DNA here and the right comp. It's ostensibly a sports show or a sports entertainment show in this case, but really it's a family drama and a workplace drama all wrapped up into one. And there's just so many other commonalities. You know, you have the small town Southern setting, the tone, it's heartfelt, it's funny. You have the the coach, Mrs. Coach dynamic between Jack yeah. and Stacy, right? You have mm-hmm. this deep bench or, or stable of well-written, well-acted characters. You have some impressive cinematography, a great score, a similar score, some well-chosen needle drops, right? And oh, I, needle I, drops. Yeah, just really good. I always appreciate a, a show that has a real sense of a specific place, and Duffy feels like a real lived-in place to me. And also, that theme of found family, obviously, Heels has real family, too, but the family you make because of a shared vocation that brings people together from all walks of life, right? And you make it work. 
and I'm an only child, so I have not experienced the sibling sibling rivalry dynamic, but you're getting plenty of that with heels as well and just all the baggage that comes with people you've known and loved your whole life. And also just in general, a show that takes a, a really deep, loving look at a community or a workplace or a passion that you don't typically see on TV. Obviously, you see wrestling on TV. You don't necessarily see a scripted aspiring to be a prestige drama show about wrestling and, you know, anything that's not a hospital or a law firm or a police station. It's a breath of fresh air. And it can also be kind of tricky and fraught, as you said, because you have to blend this specialized world with this very mainstream appeal. And sometimes that can limit your audience because as popular as wrestling is and nothing's more popular than football, Friday Night Lights didn't get great ratings. It almost got canceled early on, which I hope doesn't happen to heels. But if people have a misconception, oh, it's just a show about football or oh, it's just a show about wrestling, maybe that's not what they want when they sit down to watch an hour-long drama. And you also have to avoid kind of signaling to your hardcore audience, your devoted, dedicated audience, that you don't know what you're talking about, right? Which I think Heels absolutely does. But you can run the risk sometimes if you're covering a specific niche or expertise. If you're in that world, then you might pick up on the implausibilities Mm -hmm. or the things that are, oh, this is not how it would work, right? But I think when you have the diligence and the care and the research and the respect to treat that subject matter with real affection and attention to detail, you know, I'm sure that you watching this show might pick up on some things that I might not pick up on and say, eh, it probably wouldn't happen quite that way. But it's definitely not turning off the people who are coming to this because they love wrestling. I think it's suffused with a love and appreciation for wrestling, right? It's a, it makes a great case for why wrestling matters and is important and is worthwhile. I totally agree. And I appreciate that. As a wrestling fan and a heels fan, it makes me feel good to hear you say things like that. Yeah, definitely. And and when I try to get people to watch this show, I I feel like Jack Spade trying to get people to pay attention to the deep WL. I'm like, it's it's good, clean family fun. They're great storytellers. Uh, You can forget about your life for a while and you'll leave the the ring happy, right? So I'm always thinking, how are we going to get this show over so it can run for several seasons, right? So if you haven't already, it's time to turn heels here. So hopefully we will help you do that if you're not on board already. But we should get back to the card. We should. Uh, We can run through the rest more quickly, I believe. The mid card, there are a few of the sort of cast of wrestlers that you could put in here. You could probably put all of them in here because they all have a few lines. I think the ones that that we see the most are Bobby Pinn, who is a uh, relative rookie or, or, you know, up and comer, um, sort of a all-American guy uh, who just sort of almost incidentally finds himself a part of the drama throughout various points throughout the, the season. Uh, Rooster, who's a sort of a veteran to some extent, a flashy sort of loudmouth character who, for that very reason, ends up being incredibly important, incredibly necessary just to the presentation of the show. This There are moments where it just is very, it, it, it borders on the monotone of just like angsty brother talk. Right. And he he livens things up both in the ring and out of it. Yeah, he feels neglected. He's put his time in. He's been in all the circuits. He thinks it's yeah. his time to be in the spotlight. Ricky Rabies, uh, who mm-hmm. I mentioned, mostly it's by the end of the season, he's important. By the beginning of season two, I think he's definitely in the mid card, maybe with a bullet. Is He's played by CM Punk, who's an incredibly right. famous wrestler. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, is just an incredible, like, hammy character that, is brought into the show basically to boost ratings in this very sort of, you know, on the nose sort of casting. They brought CM Punk, who is um, 
and for wrestling fans, this was a big piece of CM Punk's return to pro wrestling. And then he started doing this thing and he was like, yeah, I kind of, you know, miss it. Spoiler alert. It's not a spoiler. Season two will see the in-show debut of his wife, AJ Mendez, as a character as well. Mm -hmm. So I believe we'll probably be seeing more of them. Yep. And oh, Charlie Gully, probably most centrally, who will probably, you know, is probably a main eventer this season too. Charlie Gully is the impresario in charge of Florida wrestling. I'm going to get this wrong. FWD, Florida Wrestling yep. Dystopia, just an all-time <laughs> wrestling promotion name. <laughs> and he's yeah. played he's played by Michael Malley, who's a, who is another one of the all-time that guys, probably too famous to be a that guy. Yeah, and is also the showrunner of Heels. <laughs> yeah, he's so. also the showrunner of Heels. So yeah. um, we've I've corresponded with Mike a little bit, and he's, you know, he kind of learned a lot of this world on the fly and is just all the way in. And um, this is a kind of an interesting role for him. Although if, you, if you're a Michael Malley completist, you've seen him play literally every kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he's mostly a comic actor and there's certainly some comedy in, in the stuff that he does in this show. But it's a little bit more hard-edged. I think we're used to seeing Michael Malley. There's also just something incredibly on the comedy tip. There's nothing, there's something just endlessly funny about him this guy with the shaved head and a gigantic white and gray beard pulling up the hood on his hoodie to go incognito you know <laughs> it's yeah. like he's still every time you kind of catch a shot of him in a crowd it's just like are we fooling anybody here <laughs> right. but he's he's just he's fantastic the show was actually written and created i should say now by mike waldron who's gone on to write a bunch of stuff for the marvel empire mm -hmm. but he is a serious diehard wrestling fan i know mike Okay, and he showed me the, some of the scripts of this show before season one came out. So I can tell you the love and, and accuracy was in there at the beginning, but it's been a group effort, I think, like what you were talking about, to create a show that is as authentic as possible. Right. Yeah. And what I appreciate about this, and I'll be interested to see who gets elevated on this card as the season goes on. Maybe some of the less prominent season one characters get more of the spotlight in season two, but even the more minor recurring characters, they get their pops from time to time, right? Yeah, you know, they do. They each have a history. They have some backstory. They're not just there to take a bump for the main characters, right? I mean, every now and then you'll see some random wrestler in the background, <laughs> which is, it's always weird because like the show focuses on a handful of wrestlers who are always there. And then occasionally yeah. you just see someone you've never seen before. And it's like- It's a great move though, <laughs> when the camera sort of lingers on somebody and you're like, am I supposed to know who that is? Yeah, who and is that? That's when you right. realize that, the, that even in this tiny world, the world is bigger than the yeah. things that we're seeing from scene to scene. Right, yeah, because you can't have a convincing wrestling league with, you know, five or six guys, but mm -hmm. it's always jarring because we follow certain guys very well. And then every now and then you see some stranger and you're like, who's that? What's his story? But you're very accustomed to the show, just giving you like, these are all relatively rounded out characters with a little depth and some layers to them. You know, they get their moments, even if they're not necessarily leading an episode. So I appreciate that. The other, the only other person I have in the mid-card category is the ghost of Tom Spade. It's kind of hard to categorize where he is, but it, we should say for the record, that Tom Spade, their father, is played by David James Elliott and appears throughout the show in season one and at least a little bit in, se in, in season two, episode one. So uh, he, he is a, a going concern. And that casting, I mean, this show is really, really well cast. Yes. That is a great little bit of casting because every time his face comes on the screen, you're just like, 
You look like a hero and a dad. Yep. <laughs> yep. And Tom's widow is also, she gets a, a fair amount of screen time, right? Jack and Ace's mother, yes. Carol, played by Alice Barrett Mitchell. In season one, she's very much in mourning. She and everyone else is still dealing with the after effects of her husband or their father shooting himself, right? And what that says about his place in their lives and their place in his life, right? But Again, there's some humanity to her as well, where you see that when she lashes out, it's because of pain, right? I mean, everyone is Absolutely. dealing with, with something they're trying to hide or self-medicate away or play a character so that they can avoid confronting what is actually going on in their lives, right? There's a lot of sort of quiet suffering happening here and sometimes not so quiet. No, and I I appreciate that. I mean, her the portrayal is incredible, and the the character in general is just. I mean, she's not a sort of moral compass of the show. She's not a voice of reason. There is a world in which, like, she and Willie are one character, right? Mm -hmm. And that that's a much less interesting show because she just manages to. I mean, in in a very straightforward sense, she kind of shows one path for Stacy's future, right? Like, and that is the path you don't want. If for no other reason, not I'm not talking about the demise of her of her husband, but I just talking about the 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 wear on her as a person and the amount of resentment that she has built up towards the the DWL. Mm -hmm. And I think that hopefully we'll see a lot more of her in season two. The other wrestlers who bear mention and I think fall in the jobbers category, but not not this is not a reflection on them as human beings or actors or even characters, really. There's uh Diego Cottonmouth, uh mm -hmm. Big Jim Kitchen. Apocalypse, played by none other than former Pittsburgh Steeler James Harrison. Yeah. Absent from this episode, I, I guess maybe he's still in rehab at this point in the storyline. But uh, yeah, it does not make an appearance in this in this premiere, right? Yeah, but he, he will hopefully come back. I mean, he was a big selling point for the people. I remember he was like making the publicity rounds with them for season one. But maybe they've moved on to the wrestlers now. Maybe they don't need ex-Steelers anymore. <laughs> right. I do want to mention that one way that we can always tell who matters in professional wrestling, the real version, is whose face is biggest in the poster. So I did make sure to, to search out the Heels uh, season two poster that Stars has been passing around. Everyone that we mentioned is on there. They're, uh, the, the two brothers are front and center, literally, you know, in a lockup as if they're starting a wrestling match, except clothed. But Crystal, your new champ, is at the top. Not, it's, not it's, it's in perspective, so she's not the biggest, but she's certainly, you know, one of the most central figures. I recommend everybody check this out. I think you get a pretty good idea of what's going on here pretty quickly. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED highlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Season one. Why don't you give the rundown? Talk about the main event match, because this is what the whole thing is built to. 
Right. So there's a, a ladder match at the end here. And this is a huge opportunity for the DWL because they're playing the state fair, right, which is a, a huge crowd in comparison to their typical crowd at the Dome, this rundown building that they've been playing in for decades. So this is their shot. And Jack is trying to modernize the DWL. He's trying to put them online and, and build up a streaming service, right, with the, the back catalog. And this is going to be their big shot. And Wild Bill has come back and is helping them sell tickets. They're kind of conflicted about depending on him, but he's a big star and they're essentially using him and he's using them to some extent to rehabilitate his image. So they've been building up to another Jack and Ace confrontation. That's really the running theme of the season and the series in general. And Wild Bill is going to be involved here as well with Crystal as his valet and Things go awry, right? Jack is uh, very much a, a stick to the script guy, unlike his dad, who was more improvisational, more just uh, you do this and then figure something out and we'll see where it goes. Jack has everything set in stone or he'd like to think so. But of course, when the rubber meets the road, you know, best laid plans do not survive very long in the ring in heels. And so there is a big revelation here. I guess we're getting into spoiler territory, but if you've been listening this long, there's sort of a, a secret that Jack has been hiding from Ace all season, which is that he brought in a, a prop. He purchased in bulk some <laughs> tissues <laughs> for a previous match of theirs because Ace, he cried in the ring, right? He broke down in the ring because Jack was cruel to him, denied him a chance at the belt. It's I want to interrupt to say the stakes, everything from the tissues to the to like whether or not they get to play the state fair. They might sound trivial now, but honest to God, the show makes you care about those trivial stakes. Yes. So basically the idea was the crowd was going to throw tissues at Ace because he cried in the ring. Little packs, those little like those little, uh, you know, um, purse packs of, of Kleenex. Right. But it wasn't organic. Jack had purchased them and given them out. And that was a huge moment where, I mean, and that Ace was so mad that that happened and accused Jack of doing it up to that point. And Jack had denied it up until the main event. Right. And Jack's wife, Stacy, as well, finds out about it, not from Jack, but by doing her own sleuthing. And that makes her kind of question, what kind of man am I married to if he's capable of this? Right. And so this all comes out in the ring at the climactic moment of the ladder match on the ladder, which is quite a time. Jack was trying to bring it up earlier in the episode, just couldn't find the right time, was very apprehensive about what Ace's response would be because Jack was trying to manipulate Ace into heal them, right? He thought this would be good for the league and this is the kind of character that Ace is suited to play, but he wants to be a face, even though inherently he's a heel, or at least it seems so, right? But he has trouble kind of separating his ring personality from his real life. He's got all these demons playing a heel seems to exacerbate that. So at this crowning moment, it comes out that Jack was the one who set up Ace to turn heel and, and also to be mocked by everyone. And then there's a real fistfight, right? And then there's a shoot. A lot of shoots happen here. <laughs> there's a lot of actual fighting and actually being bloodied here. And so they devolve into actually beating up each other, choking each other. Meanwhile, Wild Bill has a bit of an accident and uh, he's, he's self-medicating as well. He uh, loses a little bowel control at an inopportune moment. And that's when Crystal steps in and, and saves the day, essentially, by claiming the belt herself. 
The pooping of the pants is a very authentic pro wrestling plot <laughs> okay. device. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is not unusual. Not not well, maybe unusual is not the right word. It's not unheard of for a wrestler to um, to poop their pants during yeah. a match. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine getting slammed around really hard. You know, does not have the most uh, positive effect on bowel control. So, <laughs> see, this is the the expert insight that I'm getting from you, a, a real lifelong wrestling fan <laughs> that I would There's not know. There's a great video somewhere online of John Nord, who is the berserker in our childhood. I don't know if you have any point of reference for that, but he does an impression of Dusty Rhodes asking him if he remembered his muffler, which it turns out a muffler is you wrap your hand like a mummy in toilet paper and stick it between your butt cheeks before every match just to make <laughs> sure this sort of thing doesn't happen. So, uh -huh. you know, you can look that up or not. I leave that to you. So, yeah, so the season two premiere picks up moments after that, essentially, and they're going their separate ways. Ace is still steaming about Jack's revelation about the tissues and Jack is still. He's bleeding. really mad about the tissues. You Very would bad. have think that of all of the kind of plot contrivances, you would have think <laughs> thought that that would be a thing that he could get past. Yes. However, and we can go right into episode, I mean, season two, episode one here. However, it's it's about it's you also would have thought that Jack, as the guy in charge of this whole thing, wouldn't have found it necessary to play God, to mess with his brother, to reach an endpoint that was relatively reasonable. Right. right. So yeah. you can see if, if it went, the the scales are, are kind of in in strange places for both characters. They both obviously have a lot of pride and they both obviously have very firm ideas about right and wrong, especially as it applies to the wrestling ring. And we see that that's all kind of been handed down either directly or either deliberately or accidentally from their father. Right. And you can see just following in the father's footsteps in ways that they would not want to, but it's almost a tragic inevitability, right? Because Jack was barred from having input creatively into the DWL by his father. And now right. he's essentially repeating that mistake with Ace, right? Because it's the baby brother and Ace is, uh, you know, a bit of a libertine. Maybe he's not the most responsible. And Jack, I think, underrates him as a thinker, right? I mean, there are moments when yes. we see that Ace has a real depth to him and a real kind of contemplativeness that is buried under his brash persona, but it comes out. There's a little bit more to Ace than just the guy who's uh, partying and, you know, fornicating, as uh, Wild Bill would say. It's true. Uh, you mentioned the, the difference between Jack and his father before in terms of creative, and it is true. Jack is more stick to the script. His father uh, played things a little bit loose. But I think the, the thing that's worth pointing out is Jack is writing the script, and he's uh, something of an artiste, right? I mean, it, it comes out that he's like, this he's a kind of a savant at, at writing a wrestling show, whereas his dad would send everybody out and just say, go have a good match. Jack says, here's the idea. We're going to, you know, do this and this and this and get to this point and whatever else. It's interesting that you'll see later in this episode that at the end of their first match together, Ace does make a change. He does decide to go for the big finishing move, the big elbow off the top rope. And, and that was contrary to Jack's to Jack's script. Jack is okay with it, though, because it, and maybe it's because in the moment when you're feeling it, when he's actually doing what his dad, doing it the way his dad used to do, there's a more collaborative element, you know, aspect to the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's a, it's a bit of a bold move for the season two premiere to be 
primarily predominantly a flashback, right? Because we've it's been like waiting. It's like 95% flashback. Yes, yeah. right. We see the immediate aftermath of the state fair success slash confrontation, and then we rewind. And as I said, season one kind of gradually pulled back the curtain. What happened to Tom? How did these brothers become the way they are? Now we're fully rewinding. We're seeing the aftermath of the suicide. We're seeing the funeral. We're seeing... Everything that came after that, the DWL almost shutting down and then deciding to try to keep it going. And you could say, I mean, look, it's been almost two years since season one. I had to rewatch to refresh my memory, which I was happy to do because it's a great show and it holds up on the second viewing. But it's been a while because there was this whole corporate restructuring with Lionsgate and stars and they had the season in the can for quite some time. We've been waiting and now instead of progressing, we're going back in time and we're seeing some things that either we had a sense of or maybe we intuited, right? We're not necessarily learning things. Yeah. We're learning some some nuances of the characters and some backstories and origin stories here, but also kind of fleshing out things that we might have assumed. But I think the reason why it works, in addition to just the generally great production values and acting and writing and everything, is that it's kind of uh, an inversion of the first season. It's almost a, a mirror image, I think, of the season one premiere and I guess to some extent the season one finale, both of which end with Jack Ace showdowns that mm -hmm. do not go well for Ace or for the brothers relationships, right? Yep. They're they're at each other's throats, sometimes literally, right? There's a great moment in season one where they they do almost like the the predator handshake with each other's throats, <laughs> just yes. instinctively like a, a wrestling lock kind of. And in each of those cases, it's Jack holding back the baby brother, right? Stymieing mm -hmm. him, whether it's because he's not ready to hand over the belt or he doesn't think Ace is ready or there's some sort of jealousy and rivalry there mixed with care and concern. But here, when we rewind, we actually see a moment when there's a triumph, a mutual triumph, right? Because Jack and Ace have their showdown and it goes great for both of them and for Ace. And they have this moment where Ace, you know, the the former kind of failed athlete who was left crying on the field at the end of his football career. Here he hears the cheers of the crowd. He gets to yeah. be the face. He gets his hero moment. And it's partly because Jack trusts him and gives him an opportunity that Tom, their dad, didn't. And then also trusts him, as you said, to go off script and ad lib a little. And you see that that Ace has good instincts for this sort of thing. So just to back up like 5%, really broad strokes of season two, episode one, Tim Bell salute. Like you said, it starts at the end of the last match. They're cheering for Crystal in the locker room. Ace has gone missing. And Jack is, you know, out looking for him. And then suddenly we're back at the moment at which Tom Spade has committed suicide. Jack is looking for his brother and puts himself back in the position of looking for finding his brother sitting next to his dad's body. Um, and you go, we go through the funeral, like you said, and everything else. And there's this question about whether or not DWL is going to keep going. And I think they all think it's not going to. One, because ticket sales have been so far down, it seems like kind of beside the point. And two, because without their dad, uh, you know, it just, it, it's, it's too kind of, there's too much emotional baggage tied up to tied up in it at this point. And then they decide to have one last show. Uh, they decide to have one last show to pay tribute to uh, Tom Spade, to King Spade. And Ace, who's never wrestled before, decides he wants to be a part of it. And so there's a great training montage, or not montage, but sequence of him learning, the, learning how to be a wrestler. And 
Uh, and it ends with a Jack Spade versus a Spade showdown that I think we both described uh, back and forth pretty well. And at the end, they basically say, you know, let's keep doing this. Like that mm-hmm. went really well. Why don't we just keep going? Because <laughs> the, there's a giant yeah. crowd there. Everybody's yeah. going nuts. What could go wrong? They make you feel exactly what you're supposed to feel. And mm-hmm. they have great crowd shots of the crowd throughout the show. I think that the apex of this, of that is, in this episode is watching Jack's wife, Stacy leap out of her chair when Ace pins him. Like yes. when, when her husband loses, she is like <laughs> right. grinning ear to ear and cheering, right? They managed to get the crowd to feel exactly the right way. Yeah. And then we come back around at the end uh, to the present and Jack is still looking for Ace. There's a little bit of exposition to kind of get us back in real time here. I think CM Punk seems to be formally welcome to the cast <laughs> in <laughs> both both literally, like both in, the, both in shoot and kayfabe, I guess. Yes, it's... He's bringing the rabidity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned Wild Bill. I mean, Wild Bill was, was a huge fixture of this show, both in the real time and in the flashback. He showed up at the funeral, was unwanted, but still they accepted his money to pay for things. And then at the very end of the show, um, oh, Jack calls his wife Stacy, who he's estranged from. We haven't mentioned that, mm-hmm. but they, mm-hmm. Stacey has, has moved out at some uh, during season one. But they're still talking. They're still communicating. They're still very much in love uh, in their way. and. Uh, he talks to her, tells him, tells her how the night went, asks her to come home. They said they're going to talk tomorrow. And then at the end, Jack opens the letter that his dad left for him when he committed suicide. Right. And we see it for the first time. And it just says, Jack, take care of Ace, dad. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then he calls his brother one last time. And he's called him numerous times throughout the episode. It goes to voicemail again. And we see Ace driving down the highway with uh, a file box or two that he's taken from his mom's house. And his dad's crown, like his, you know, ring prop crown in the passenger seat. That's pretty much the size of the show. I think it's important to say you could watch this. You don't have you don't even have to watch season one. I don't think to watch season two, episode one and get right back into it. I think the flashback did a good job of insinuating uh, you in the in the world. Yeah. As I was saying, you you could have started the series here. Right. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like a a second pilot if you want to treat it that way. Of course, you should go back and watch the first season because it's excellent. But if you are just catching up now, you could, in theory, just dip in right here. Oh, the other thing that that I forgot to mention, I mean, it's a minor thing in the plot is that Charlie Gully, the the Florida wrestling dystopia a honcho was at the main event at the end of season one uh, and was there obviously as the show as, as the scene continues into season two and he's mad as hell he can't believe that he's mad because they just did something awesome but he's expressing it as i can't believe they would basically disrespect the business enough to give like a valet a title in a match he wasn't even in and so he goes outside and cuts like a live stream promo on how dumb this is and tells the world what happened and he's like we don't need to do anything else they're gonna bury themselves once i just tell the world but there's definitely uh, for all the wrestling fans out there, there's definitely some hints of like the the notorious WCW that'll put butts in seats moment where the announcer mm-hmm. said, yeah, I tried to get everybody to not watch WWF Monday Night Raw by saying Mick Foley wins the world championship tonight. It's pre-taped, but mm-hmm. the whole world just goes and watches it then because right. they want to see this moment. And I'm imagining there's going to be a similar backfire here, but Charlie Gully is certainly a, par- a big part of this show. We're going to talk about where things might go from here. But before we do, I'm going to run through a couple of categories and give out a few awards. Who is the world champ for this episode? Who, 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 is, who is this episode's MVP? It's a very Ace and Jack-centric episode, as many mm-hmm. episodes are. I think I would give it to Ace here just because we're seeing a, a slightly different side of him, right? We're seeing an Ace who's a little less self-assured, a little less 
brash. He's great at playing Ace as just a raw nerve, right? You know, he's liable to fly off the handle at any moment. But here we're seeing him for the first moment in his life or his adult life, at least by his own admission, he's apprehensive, right? He's out of his comfort zone. He knows what it's like to be on the field, but not what it's like to be in the ring. So he has this moment where for once he's not the overconfident one who's just kind of chafing at Jack controlling him. Here, it's reversed, really, where Jack is encouraging him and needing to bolster his confidence. And I just enjoyed seeing that side of Ace because it's more or less the same old Jack. I always enjoyed Jack, but this was a little bit of a a different Ace than we've seen. I agree. I think it's a little bit, uh, I mean, I'm not going to try to like act like I know anything about acting. But Jack gets to be the rock throughout most of this. There's nothing yes. particularly shocking about the about the thought processes that go that, that Jack has to deal with, despite the fact that he is a bigger character in the show. Ace, I think, has a trickier job, which is to be a wrestling skeptic, but to not make it seem silly, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, like in the in the way that he's portrayed. And I think that Ace covers a lot more ground in terms of where he starts and where he finishes this episode. And at no point did I think that it felt silly. I mean, I know that's that's kind of that should go without saying in a show like this, but like, man, Ace has to be like a former football quarterback who's like trying to be a wrestler and but re- it's something he really wants and you know what it, it it's it's tough. It's it's it, it, there's a lot to bring into that and it it was an incredible performance. Yeah, and and these brothers are constantly tearing each other down, sometimes literally on a ladder. And here we actually get to see them building each other up for once, which is nice. I wanted to ask you as the wrestling expert, whereas I'm mm-hmm. the guy who stayed at the wrestling holiday and last night, I just I watched Fake It So Real, the wrestling doc on your recommendation and was impressed by how closely Heels mirrors that. But how impressive is it or would it be in real life for Ace to step into the ring like that as a rookie, as a noob, granted, as a, an athlete and as someone who's grown up around wrestling, mm-hmm. but has no practical wrestling experience because all the other wrestlers are like, wow, there's no way that you can get up to speed here in one week. And then at the end, he's nailing the flying leap from the top yeah. rope, right? So does that fly for you? At the end, we see Jack at the end of, you know, the flashback episode, we see Jack saying like, telling his brother that he has that something special yes. that makes you a wrestler. There's a lot of that sort of like, you know, undefinable it in him as a performer. And that helps. The football stuff, being a football player helps too, because he talks about it. He gets hit, you know, he was a quarterback. He got hit by linebackers and stuff. And, you know, for a lot of people that wrestle, one of the difficult things is, um, well, there's two things. I I remember Jerry the King Lawler was Bill Dundee. Somebody way back when I was a kid said the hardest thing about learning to be a wrestler is to getting over the height of being backdropped. You know, it's just that the simple thing where it's like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to leave my feet. Um, But I do know that for a lot of people, it's like, I can do a headlock but like, how hard am I supposed to be doing it, right? I mean, there's a physicality to it that like being a, an athlete in some other way does help. I think to answer your question directly, I think it's plausible that he did what he did. I think I don't. It's it's a, it's relatively reasonable to expect an athlete, especially someone who has some sort of you know, grew up watching it and really understands the business to be able to put together one match, especially an old school Georgia wrestling style match that is largely just basic physicality, headlocks and punches and whips in the turnbuckle and stuff like that. They choreographed mm-hmm. this thing within an inch of its life. Yes. The only question at the end was whether or not Jack was going to let Ace go off the top rope and do their father's patented flying elbow, like macho man elbow uh, finishing move. So yeah, it's it's totally plausible. Now the different the distance between there and being able to be the guy calling the match 
with a different young guy in the ring. Like Ace is miles away from being like a fully formed pro wrestler. But could you just talk? Could could you map the entire thing out and learn those moves and do it in the way that like a layman might think pro wrestling works? Yes, that's that's plausible for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I agree with you about Ace. Uh, the next category is the main event. What is this show about? What is the moment or our concept or idea that the show is about? I'll take this one. I mean, to me, the entire show was what the entire season one was about. It was Jack versus Ace in the ring. We came out, like you said, with a different uh, ending than we had in the previous times we've seen them fight. But I mean, the way that they tugged at the heartstrings of the audience, including the TV viewing audience. I mean, I was like actually emotionally affected by watching this match go off mm -hmm. uh, and watching the way the crowd reacted to it. And the way that this match, this it's it's not it's bigger than a match. It encompasses their lives. It encompasses their person, their their personhoods. And we know, you know, that the, this match is what changes the course of the DWL. Uh, and I mean, the main event in this case, the main event is the main event. Yes, I would agree with you. Yes, and and honestly, our next category, I think these will probably be different answers in many episodes, but they will probably be the same answer for me here. The next category is the holy shit moment, just the moment that made you jump out of your seat and say holy shit. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's the end of that match for me, right? It's the it's mm -hmm. the pin. It's that moment when, as you said, Stacy leaps out of her seat. That's what I was doing. If not physically, then at least emotionally, right? I mean, yeah. that is for all the reasons we explained. Not only is it just a a nice payoff and a nice emotional climax to this episode, but because of the backdrop of season one and all the drama that has come already and that we know will be coming for these characters in the future because we've already seen that play out, just to see where it started here and how these brothers were so close and have the potential to be so close, that almost makes it more affecting that they can't help but be at each other's throats sometimes literally mm -hmm. and squander the potential of this ring rivalry and also this real life relationship. But you can at least see the seeds of maybe these guys could get along someday. You know, there's a lot of love there and there's also just a lot of other stuff that complicates the love and sometimes just eradicates it entirely temporarily. But there is an underlying affection there because these brothers had to bond together really against this overbearing presence of their father. And they've coped with that in different ways and had different relationships to their father. But here you can see them coming together for once. And it makes for a nice contrast with most of the series so far. There are some holy shit moment potential in the discovery of King Spade's body at the beginning of this episode. They didn't really play it for uh, holy shit. Uh, right. And, and it wasn't the first time that we've seen or contemplated the concept yes. of his, the notion of a suicide. So, um, you know, I, I think that I, I totally agree with you in terms of the holy shit moment. The last uh, category that we have here is the gimmick. What small choice made you happy? Do you want to go first on this one or should I? Sure. Yeah, no, there were a few minor moments I, I really appreciated that were very different tonally. One thing I like about this show is that as it can get, there are moments of levity and comic relief, you know? So you mm -hmm. have, for instance... Debbie, who's sort of the sidekick to the sidekick, kind of Willie's assistant at the DWL. There's this moment where at Tom's memorial, she goes up to his widow, Carol, and is basically talking about how handsome Tom was and thirsting after him. And then Ace gets in the ring and she's talking about how fit he is. And it's just 
a little bit of levity amidst all the other stuff that's going on there. So I appreciated that and that that show does that in general. That character was amazing in this episode. Yes. Even when she approaches the the family at the, at the at the wake or the whatever the funeral service right. is and then like doesn't know what to say. There's a moment where you're just like, was that a was that supposed to be in the show? Because there's just <laughs> such a deep reality to the way that you're to that portrayal. Yeah. Unsung member of the cast didn't even make our card, but but always uh, a welcome presence when she's on the screen. And then kind of the opposite of that tonally. I mean, I like the moment where, you know, when they discover Tom, when Jack shows up and Ace is like wrapped in his uh, school blanket. Right. He's kind of like reverting to being a kid. And then Jack covers his father's face with his DWL jacket sort of symbolically, you know, like the DWL Mm -hmm. consumed Tom. It was all he could see. He lost sight of everything else that was important in his life. But I think my favorite moment, and this was just a minor one, but in the very beginning, before the flashback, we spend just a few seconds with Crystal in the bathroom by herself, just in the wake of her victory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. And we learn a lot about Crystal in this episode. We see her origin story. You know, we knew she was a wrestling fan. She grew up watching the DWL, but we kind of get a glimpse of how she broke into the ranks here and just how much she cares about wrestling, how knowledgeable she is about it to the point that she's predicting Jack's line, kind of foreshadowing her future as, as a creative force. But In the bathroom, there's this moment after she's become the champion and she's had this whole arena celebrate her, thousands of people, and the belt is too big for her, right? She tries to Mm -hmm. put the belt on and it's made for a man, you know, and it just slips over her waist and falls to the floor. And then she has to hoist it in the air. And there's also this moment where she looks around for a second before she hoists it. She's like, am I allowed to do this? Like, is is anyone going to be mad at me for celebrating this moment? Because she's been told all of season one, you're not welcome here. You know, you don't get to be in the ring. You don't get to be in the locker room. Your place is outside the ring, as is the case for many of the female characters in season one. And here she's fully embracing it and getting to celebrate it. But you can still see she's a woman in a man's world, at least to this point in the story. For sure. Um, that was one of my favorite moments of the show. For me, the gimmick was, and this is very specific to being a pro wrestling fan, but there's a scene right before, in, in the flashback, right before Ace and, and Jack go to the ring where Ace in the locker room watches two other wrestlers. Was it Rooster and Big Tom? I I, I think so. But they like run through the, the outline for their match. Yes. And they're using this sort of carny shorthand, you know, to, actually a, a more um, mainstream... Uh, a more understandable version of it, but they're using this in a shorthand to talk about what they're going to do. And that you can see the excitement in their faces and, and ACE who is new to this whole thing says that was really cool. Yeah. Like just watching them talk about it was really cool. And they're just like, yeah, man, your brother wrote us some good stuff to talk about. Like whatever. That was a very cool, authentic moment. And again, that was to me, what part of what made ACE's portrayal so well that he just yeah. made that such a cool moment. Because there are some stirring speeches and and Jack gets his uh, kind of Friday Night Lights coach sort of pep talks and, you know, will have these stirring uh, odes to wrestling and this is why it matters and this is why it's important. But sometimes it's just unstated or understated. And you can just see that in people's reactions to what they're watching. And you can see that in that reaction from Ace there. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, that wraps it up, man. Uh, we're going to now we have one more segment. It's called The Angle. What's going to matter? going forward in this show what's the what, what is uh, we can spin it out to the whole season yeah um but i think that the real there's one really big question there's one angle that we really care about and that's where the hell is ace driving with this <laughs> stuff in his car at the end of episode one 
Where do you think he's going? I got the impression potentially because we see Carol looking out the window, watching him go. His mom, yeah. Yeah, attaboy, ace, attaboy, right? I took from that that maybe he is uh, essentially finding some way to leave his father's legacy and that looming shadow behind him. You know, it's it's almost like he's scattering his ashes or something. He's taking the crown. I don't know where he's going or what he's going to do with it exactly, but perhaps he has come to terms with that legacy. Maybe he has found a way to make peace with his dad and his dad's stature in all of this, but maybe not. Maybe he'll regress. You know, they got to keep the show going. So we need some some conflict. And Ace, obviously, is uh, someone who's rarely at peace with himself. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. And that's what the, 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 his mom saying, you go, Ace, you know, that's certainly where her motivation is. When I first saw it, I wondered if he was driving over to Charlie Gully's place because mm-hmm. Charlie Gully, who runs Florida Wrestling Dystopia, was interested in taking over their territory through any kind of means necessary. Yeah. Uh, throughout throughout season one, and and you know, bribing Ace to grab the crown and come on, you know, come come this direction would fit with his character. But I don't know that it necessarily fits with Ace's character. If that or that fits with the story with his what his mom said and anything else, I'm not sure why she would be so excited about that. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I think regardless, obviously, Charlie Gully is going to be a, a main character of season two. And I think the sort of bigger question is, how do you continue to make the stakes if they're if, they, if it's about Ace and Jack right. uh, matter? Yes. Because we've been over everything. And not only that, <laughs> but we've seen now with the flashback how it all started. I'm not sure that just convincing Ace to take another turn in the main event is going to be that big of a deal. Another thing that, another you know, worth saying is, there's a ceiling to how big the stakes can be. They're going to play the state fair again or the county fair. You know, the car dealership's going to give them more money, but they've done a really good job with stakes so far. But if we keep circling the same personality matchup, I'm not sure how high they can take it. Yeah, and I do wonder if if we're lucky enough that Heels runs for several seasons and it has great growth from this upstart hanging by a thread league that we meet in season one, if it actually has a breakthrough, if all of Jack's dreams come true, then is that eventually what Heels is about? You know, you you make it and then maybe you find out that what you were dreaming about isn't all it was cracked up to be or that adds new tensions and stresses to your life. But we're a ways away from that. I do think, though, that you're right. I mean, the the will they or won't they of Heels isn't so much a romantic thing, although there are aspects of that, obviously, but it's can these guys get along, right? Can they put this stuff behind them? Can they bury the hatchet? And I don't know how long that can be sustained. I mean, this whole, you know, men will literally play pro wrestling characters and settle things in the ring instead of going to therapy storyline that Mm -hmm. could get repetitive if they keep going back to that well. I have confidence that they won't. We should say we have not watched ahead in the season, so we're not. No, gonna... we're watching this as it comes. You yes. know, in the in the in the flashback sequence when Ace comes out. So so the, the the flashback basically ends with Jack coming out, thanking everybody for being there and saying, you know, we're just wishing to play my dad's music one more time to remember him. And then of course his brother comes out for the first time ever into the arena to his dad's music, wearing his king's cape and with a microphone, and says, "It wasn't easy growing up being me." And the crowd gets behind him and 
But by the way, when you watch this, the uncertainty with which he says his first lines is another reason why Ace is the is the champion of this episode. Yes. Uh, and he sort of he, he gets a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. You can see him embrace the persona as he goes on. Right. He, yeah. He gains confidence. And then when he comes back from killing it in the ring, you can see the bravado is there. You know, he's pumping his fist. It's like, OK, he's on the way to being the ace of spades instead of this guy who's never set foot in this world before. So. I'm with you. I'm interested to see how they will handle that and kind of keep doling out that storyline without going back to it too many times. I, I do think maybe the angles that I'm most interested in or that are developing here. First, as you mentioned already, there's the DWL FWD dynamic, right, which has been adversarial. It has been these are rivals. They're existential threats to each other. But I wonder if there will be more of a symbiotic relationship here, whether they realize maybe we're better off with each other than mm -hmm. constantly fighting each other. Maybe we can. It's been a little this. bit abstract at this point, outside of just the presence of Mike O'Malley and his and his backing band of like three bald white guys. It's been it's, <laughs> it's you know, we don't really, you know, yeah, I mean, we don't know what it's like to be a consumer. You know, and to and to choose between watching these two shows. Really. Yeah, he has this this Greek chorus of of bros who follow him around. But yeah, like maybe they realize, hey, we can each get some heat from this. You know, like mm -hmm. our owners punching each other and raiding each other's rosters. Maybe we can build that up into something. Because I'm with you when he cuts that promo on the phone, Charlie Gully, and says like, I guess anyone can win in the DWL. I mean. That sounds like a selling point to me more so than a negative. And that seems yeah. like it would backfire. And then maybe he'll realize, hey, maybe maybe we need each other or maybe we can mutually benefit each other. The other thing I'm interested in now that Crystal has broken into this world, has managed to transcend the limiting valet role and become the champion. Of course, now she needs a fighting partner, right? And we know AJ Mendez is, is going to play that part, at least part of the season. So we mm -hmm. go from women being barred from the ring in this league to being a champion. And now that's going to be a, a bigger part of the story. It won't just be, hey, they're keeping us on the sidelines, but she will have kind of a, a compatriot, I would imagine, that they will figure out what the DWL looks like with yeah. women wrestlers. Yeah, she kind of got short shrift in this episode just compared to where season one ended. But yeah, I'm, right. I'm assuming that's going to be a big, that'll be a big focus moving forward. Yeah. And then I think the last thing I'm intrigued by is to some extent the the Jack Stacy relationship or just Jack wrestling with his demons, which are less on the surface. Maybe he's just better at burying them than aces or coping with them. But he has his own dark side, right? He has mm -hmm. his own inheritance from Tom. And I, I guess there's a world where that storyline is a little less sensational and maybe more boring than the other storylines because, uh, you know, are Jack and Stacy going to get along and will she move back in? Maybe it's not quite as sexy as like who's going to win the ladder match, right? But I am intrigued by just Tom wrestling with his own past with his dad. You know, can he avoid making the same mistakes that Tom did? We learn in this episode that Jack was out and Stacy actually pulled him back in. She was the one who said, no, you should stage a final show here. And maybe she lived to regret that when that kind of began to take over his life. But I've had this bit as I've been rewatching, you know, because Jack in the show, Stacy and their son, they're always like, 
hey, come out and catch fireflies with us. And Jack's always like glued to his computer, stressing about something he has to yeah. do to keep the DWL alive. And we so, know how that life goes, you know. <laughs> I know, you know, that's what I'm here. saying. Every time when my wife is like, uh, you know, can we go out or do this or something? And I'm like, I got to record a podcast. I got to finish the script. I've, I've taken to saying like the DWL is, is hanging by a thread. I got to get this script <laughs> done, right? I'm, I'm trying not to make the same mistakes that the spades do, but you see that, but DWL, it takes over their lives. So whether he's able to make this league a success without going down the same dark path and losing track of his priorities will probably be a big part of the season as well. You're right. At the end of the day, it's all going to come down to Jack and Ace, uh, the way we started this thing. And that flashback, they said part of the the gimmick, their, their prepared dialogue um, was Jack telling his brother, in this family, we handle things in the ring, which Crystal, right. as a fan in the audience, knew he was going to say because it's a thing they've said before, but also a real-life thing that their dad said. Uh, and, I, and presumably, as their relationship continues to spin in this season, a thing that will happen again, whether yeah. it's with, you know, no matter how it happens, they managed to do this thing, uh, and this is, I think, the great triumph of the show, where this real-life thing this thing that was, you know, really said in real life becomes part of the fabric of this narrative and and uh, and and actually re interacts with it in a really interesting way. And we saw they did one of the, it was incredible in season one, just watching wrestling matches matter for the story of a show. And it was it's a beautiful thing. And, and we got to see that again in season two, episode one, Ten Bell Salute. And I think we'll probably see it again as this season marches forward. Ben, you and I are going to do this together. Yes. We're going to have some other friends and other viewers stop by to talk to us about the show. But this episode appeared on the Ringer Wrestling Show feed at the moment that the see, that the episode dropped. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we will continue to do it this way as the season spins forward. We will not, as you said, be watching forward. We're going to watch uh, only the, the this week's episodes that we're experiencing it more or less in real time, just like everybody listening. Yes, I'm happy to have heels back in my life. Happy to be doing this with you. Thank you for helping me get over with your audience here. And there's a lot of meat on the bone of this series. So stay tuned. Can I leave you with one closing question? I've been wondering, please, which heels wrestler would you most want to see in real life, excluding the wrestlers who are actual wrestlers in real life? Are they all two generic archetypes that you wouldn't be that intrigued by it or if you could have real life rooster or real life apocalypse or real life Diego or whoever it is, Ace Jack, who would you most want to see added to a real wrestling roster? There are like Rooster's great. Uh, there are there are rooster parallels in the pro wrestling world. So I don't I don't feel the 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 need for Rooster. I think it'd be really fun to have you know, uh, Jack or Ace. I thought about this actually watching this episode that they're all kind of th- thinking about what they're going to do in the future. And if they hadn't kept doing the show, you know, some wrestling company, regional or otherwise, would have been crazy not to look at Jack and Ace and just be like, "Why don't you both come up and do this?" And I and that I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, both those guys look every bit the pro wrestler, and they, mm-hmm. you know, and they're a lot of fun to watch. But just in terms of like things that there's not enough of, that we don't, you know, that aren't as plentiful maybe as Rooster parallels, Diego would be pretty great. Diego Cottonmouth, who is a, a big giant masked wrestler. Yes. Um, is is a lot of fun to watch in the show. And uh, I can imagine him having a, you know, him, him being exciting to watch. Yeah. Uh, but I like the old school stuff. Actually, I might pick Tom Spade. If I can pick King Spade, but alive, he might be my winner. <laughs> I like I like the old guys still got it. If you listen to the press yes. box, you know it. But the oh, old yes, guys still got a trouble for wrestling works too. Mm-hmm. And his mustache, mustache are just sorely lacking in 
the pro wrestling world right yes. now. Yeah, he's got the full Tom Selleck going on. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Uh, thank you, everybody who listened to the show. Oh, thank you to Jesse Lopez who produced it. We're going to make him watch the show too. So he'll be he'll be forced to comment on the show and uh, him along with some guests that we have lined up for the coming weeks. Be sure to listen to all of the great shows on the Ringer Wrestling Show feed, The Masked Man Show, Cheap Heat, and Wednesday Worldwide. But we at the Heels uh, Review Federation will be back every Friday night for a new episode of Heels Season 2. We'll see you next Friday. 